I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. I'm back from my trip to Tallahassee, where I spent some time with Peter Schweitzer and his team, and I recap some of that, plus some of my thoughts when I was on the road about really how China's influence is directly connected to big Joey Biden when he was heading up uh, Barack Obama's China policy, and how his normalization of the Beijingification of Hollywood has had rippling effects throughout uh, all of American society and has really put us in really bad shape and putting Xi Jinping in a much more powerful position. I get into all that in the opening of the show, plus the news of the day, of course, starting with the Freedom Convoy. Uh, Biden, again, is clueless here about how to deal with this, how to manage this, and it's spreading throughout the world, especially the United States. And everyone's now got their eye on the Super Bowl and whether or not there will be a convoy that shows up in Los Angeles. Fingers crossed that it will, but I don't know for sure. And we'll see in a couple of days, I guess. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, by the way, who should be managing this thing as transportation secretary, has no idea what to do either. But he is weighing in inaccurately, misinterpreting a new Florida rule that's being called the Don't Say Gay Bill. That's not at all what it is. And uh, I explain in the opening of the show. Uh, Plus, we discuss uh, abortions plummeting in Texas with a new controversial law that's been put in place. Hillary Clinton making a big comeback. I speculate that she's running and might even be winning on the Democrat side for 2024. And we give you the truth about Joe Biden and crack, crack pipes. Did Joe Biden fund them? Will he fund them? Uh, We explain all that also in the beginning of the show as well. Really cool guest today, BJ Dichter, who is the spokesman and vice president of the Freedom Convoy. I get into uh, with him why Canada was the catalyst for this movement or why Canada was the origin of this uh, freedom movement, what his biggest fears are. He dispels some myths about what is being reported about his convoy, and he gets into what is next. And uh, you're not going to want to miss his answer on whether or not the Canadian government is uh, interacting with him and acknowledging the pretty reasonable requests that the uh, Freedom Convoy uh, truckers have. So all that to come on the show. We'll be right back with the headlines after this short break. lot of news to get to. I will say thanks to Jerome Hudson and uh, the producers for making it so that I could go to Tallahassee to top secret headquarters, Peter Schweitzer's operation, which is really cool. Um, We do so much simpatico stuff with Peter, and I don't think people fully grasp how simpatico my organization is and his, even though he works for my organization as a senior contributor. Uh, His book, Red Handed, which is a must read thus far, the book of the year by far. Um, is selling like hotcakes, definitely Peter's best-selling book ever, which is really heartening because it is not his easiest to read and is often his darkest, and it prompts even more, I think, questions. It answers a lot of questions, and it prompts even more, and I just I couldn't help but reflect on uh, the, the Chinification of America and how many people are to blame, and it's not just the obvious ones, but even the obvious ones more than you would think. I was just reminded... Um, I was giving this some thought about how Joe Biden, along with a a mega producer, Jeffrey Katzenberg, were the ones that brokered the deal that really destroyed Hollywood and sold it out to the Chinese. I'm suggesting that we could put put us on this path to make profit from the Chinese market. It was very small at the start, but we had to do massive censorship. And then the studios, in the name of greed, 
started to self-censor and they completely changed our movies for the worse. And instead of leading the culture, we were now basically following, you know how Andrew Breitbart says the culture's upstream from politics? Well, our culture became downstream of the CCP, what Xi Jinping wanted. And Xi Jinping had been working on this for decades prior to him, who I think was vice premier at the time or vice chairman uh, of the CCP when the deal was cut, but it was Xi Jinping's baby. So it was she and Joe and Jeffrey Katzenberg. And they were the ones who came up with this idea that basically let China blackmail all of American uh, movie studios, uh, making it so that our movies all started to basically be Chinaized with no adult themes, no violence, you know, stuff like no gay people, no time travel, no time travel, no ghosts. Those were all things that were part of the rules. And of course, no metaphors for rebellion or questioning authority and no nudity, no sex, anything like that, which is, you know, I'm not saying Hollywood wasn't over sex at the time. It probably was, but now it's just a totally sterile, totally in denial of, you know, that part of human existence at all at this point in so many, so many cases, like the Marvel movies, um, which of course are an institution to make tons of money in China. All that goes back to Big Joey, the Let's Go Branded administration. And it's just a, he, the, 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 what Peter does is Peter identifies the predators in our midst. That's what he does. He figures out who the predators are. And the best predators or the worst predators, depending on your perspective, the most successful predators, how about that, um, are, are the ones who make you feel like they're on your side first. They're the ones who make you feel like uh, I am with you. And then they rob you blind. And that's what Nancy Pelosi's been doing and Diane Feinstein's been doing and the Biden family's been doing, but also what Elon Musk is doing and what LeBron James is kind of doing, even though he's, I don't think he's uh, that, that successful at it in some ways. I think people get the, get the picture with him. What Wall Street has done, all of these people, they make you feel like they're, you're one of them and they're with you. And then uh, they, they, they sell us down the river to the CCP. So uh, all that stuff is, uh, you know, kind of part of Peter's book, and if not, kind of a corollary to it, to um, what we focus on at Breitbart and have for so long. I was just said, uh, you get to think about all these things when you're on the road, you're not necessarily in, the, in your normal routine, which is good. I'm a, a big creature of routine, but sometimes when you break out of your routine, you have a n- new and interesting thoughts, and dots connect in your brain. Uh, but it, it is fun to go down there. It's got a really a bunch of sharp people, and um, I think there's going to be a lot more collaboration um, it, ahead for us. And, uh, and thanks to Jerome for filling in. I did really enjoy the Wednesday show that we did from Peter's shop, even though Jerome's equipment is not acceptable, and I hope that's being addressed. Um, but it's good to hang with Jerome. He calls it ebony and ivory, and I think he's got that completely backwards. Definitely ivory and ebony. That's just my take on it. Um, let's get into some of the fresher headlines. Um, and uh, they, they're China related, which uh, makes sense. It is still the effort to uh, push genocide Barbie Eileen Gu, the worst person in the world, is uh, alive and well. We watched uh, some appalling media footage fawning over her. This is the person that we're semi-obsessed with at Breitbart, the uh, Californian who won championships in Colorado, is headed to Stanford, but won gold for the CCP against America. So this is not someone who, you know, wouldn't have made the American team and then competed for a team uh, in their home country, which I get that. If, if you have an Italian parent and you weren't going to make the American team and then you compete for Italy, I, I understand that. 
The issue is if you are a American who's going to win gold for America, but you go to compete for the CCP because your mom is a CCP member or whatever, and then you win for the CCP, and then you are very excited to inspire a bunch of people in the communist country versus the one, the free country, which you benefited from, uh, that to me is appalling. And the media is just congratulating it because they're all part and parcel. Um, they've been saying over and over again, and I will say this over and over still, this, this Olympics will age like a banana and people look back, will look back on this and they will be appalled with ourselves. And a lot of Republicans are part of it, sadly. So uh, that is a, and that comes up, I'm on Peter Schweitzer's podcast, by the way, I think that comes out today called The Drill Down, which is really great. I really enjoy it anyway. Um, and I think that's basically the what, what we talk about. That's the conversation. We tie in the media's role in all this. Disney's role, um, ESPN, NBC, all of these are, people are part of it. And it's interesting because some of these woke companies are actually getting eaten alive at home. Um, ESPN employers are claiming that it's a racist workplace in a Project Veritas video. So uh, these are people that have elevated every woke cause in recent memory because ESPN is also part of Disney, which of course makes all this money from the CCP. But you can never be woke enough. That's the rule. There is no satisfying the woke mob. The woke mob will always want more. Um, even if it hurts them ultimately because they like destruction. Disney Junior's got a woke propaganda show called Rise Up and Sing Out Now that teaches children about microaggressions. How good is that? That sounds good. Can't wait to watch that. We've written this up at Breitbart that uh, uh, the, the, it is obsessed with racial and identity politics under the guise of being a SAR-studded music-induced cartoon kid show. Leftist indoctrination and microaggressions abound. And it's filled with a bunch of, of people who are probably somewhat familiar to you um, who created it. The indoctrination starts early. And especially with some of these streaming platforms that we've got that are sometimes hard to avoid because, you know, Disney's got a monopoly on a lot of classic entertainment that people liked until we had this woke era. And so if you want that, then you have to pay for this stuff. If you want the, you know, like the Disney Plus app. So this is where they get us. And I don't think the woke mob cares. I mean, I think some of you are probably paying attention to what's going on with the NFL where a coach is arguing for discrimination. The coach of the Miami Dolphins is arguing that he was discriminated against because he was black. And um, now the NFL is talking about whether or not they're going to evaluate the Rooney rule, which requires a league to interview ethnic minority candidates for head coaching and other senior positions before they can hire any white candidates. And all of this is making so it's not a meritocracy. So there's a, a, a affirmative action elements in some of these things. And um, whether or not the, the, they're going to evaluate whether or not the Rooney rule actually goes far enough and whether or not it's been effective because most NFL coaches are white. And uh, one of the NFL coaches, one of the few black NFL coaches um, has announced that he'd been racially discriminated against. No discussion that the NFL is about 70% black, even though, of course, that's not. What is the black population in this country? Like 14%? So that's not a problem. And there's no white people who have a problem with that. But all of a sudden, a bunch of woke people, white and black, have a problem with the amount of black coaches. Even though they're trying to, they would like the black coaches. They, they make an effort to. But then you have a black coach who does poorly, and then he sues the league. I think that backfires. 
I think it backfires because it makes you think twice that if you hire a black coach or you hire a BIPOC coach or you hire a uh, a, a um, non-binary, um, not a, a, a LGBTQ plus coach, and then that coach gets fired for performance, then you run the risk of a lawsuit. That makes you not want to hire that person. That makes you want to hire the most cis hetero white you've ever seen. Maybe with one of those like square haircuts that John Tester has up in Montana, like the flat top. Like that's the guy you want to hire because that guy's not going to sue you for anything because he's going to lose if you have to fire him. But if you hire someone who for, uh, you know, semi-affirmative action reasons or not even, but it could appear that way, then you really run the risk of uh, getting rolled here. Uh, all that connects. All right. So the Department of Homeland Security making a hard pivot to the, um, this is not a hard pivot. This is a soft pivot because the DHS is warning that there's a potential trucker convoy, uh, convoy headed to the Super Bowl which is in Los Angeles this year, which is cringe-inducing, my home city. Um, not a football town. Um, but the Department of Homeland Security, Catherine Hamilton, writes for us at Breitbart, issued a warning to U.S. law enforcement and public safety officials on Tuesday that a trucker convoy protesting vaccine mandates could begin on Sunday when the Super Bowl is played in Los Angeles, California. According to, the, uh, to Yahoo News, which obtained unclassified internal documents. The DHS warned agencies nationwide that they received a report of a convoy of truckers planning to potentially block roads in major metropolitan cities in the United States in protest of, among other things, vaccine mandates for truck drivers. Do you think that any of the people who were so excited when Black Lives Matter would block the 101 freeway, you know, in the middle of, you know, the, the most trafficked cities in the world, like Los Angeles, um, and the media cheered that on every step of the way. Um, do you do you think any of those people are going to be going to be a, a understanding of the trucker convoy that uh, might start happening throughout the country? And it's going to happen. And they're happening throughout the world, which is very exciting to me. Uh, and some of it is some people are risking significant freedoms, losing freedoms in addition to the ones we've all already lost. 120 New Zealand freedom convoy protesters were arrested believe this was yeah this was yesterday so new zealand of course has been one of the most strict when it comes to lockdowns etc and we have at breitbart we've been excited to hear about forming of some convoys that are probably going to be heading across the united states could be starting up any time now and we will have firsthand reports if that happens trust me we'll be out there if they're real and i hope they are um, and in the meantime, the uh, Joey, the Biden and Justin Trudeau, two far left and increasingly unpopular leaders are now having to work together amid incredible heckles. They're both getting roasted a lot when they're out there. Uh, they both have to kind of hide. Justin Trudeau was, gets heckled wherever he goes. And so he's been kind of bunkered a little bit, but he's even getting heckled in Canadian Parliament. Everyone's kind of just razzing him now because he doesn't know how to handle the, the, the truckers. And I'll tell you, when you have a four foot 10 trucker honks his horn and your police officers are ripping him out of the car and beating him up, that doesn't help. Big Joey Biden was making the rounds and people were chanting, of course, let's go Brandon, but they were also chanting, uh, build crack better. I think I said something similar a long time ago to make fun of Hunter, but this is because of this report that Joey is um, funding crack pipes which I don't know if that's entirely true. It's a, they've, they've pushed back very hard on this. 
But uh, people were chanting, um, build crack better, and they had let's go Brandon signs all over uh, when Big Joey was in Culpeper, Virginia. Lots of let's go Brandon chanting with his motorcade driving through. It's so great. I mean, I really do love Americans. There's a lot I don't like, some of these woke ones, but uh, there are so many great ones. So many people out there uh, protesting mandates and protesting just Big Joey in general, a lot of American flags flying, and they were greeting Biden's convoy with protests. Even a CNN poll has a majority disapproving of Biden at this point, deeming his presidency a failure. So th- this is CNN pulling the um, pulling the, the high-powered air horn, saying, hey, we need to start paying attention here. This is not going great for us. Do you think it's coincidental that Hillary Clinton is expected to speak at the New York uh, Democratic Convention? I told you, I, you heard it here first, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. If she is breathing, she's running. And as of now, she's the front runner for 2024 for the Democrats. Just know that. You know you heard that here first. Because they can't put Big Joey and Camelia Harris out there. You guys got the inflation data at the end of yesterday's show on Breitbart.com. 7.5%. Obviously more than expected. 40-year high. Average of $250 a month for Americans. How do you just have $250 like extra a month? Uh, I, I'm very fortunate to earn above the average income. And I'll tell you, $250 a month is a bummer to lose that every month. Now, what's the average American... How, how, how are you guys feeling out there? It is a, we're totally rethinking things in the Marlowe household. I've got my thinking cap on how to grow the pie out here. And it's all because Big Joey can't handle anything. He can't handle the economy. There's, there's no good solutions with the way he's got us going. And this is going to be a massive problem for Democrats because this is not one where the media can spin it. The media can't spin. We all have, um, are rapidly losing money due to inflation which could create this, this spiral that we talked about with Kevin Brady on Wednesday show, also on the podcast, where what ends up happening is prices go up and then people get raises, they demand raises, and then the prices go up again and it just spirals out of control. It's almost impossible to control at that point. But Big Joey was allegedly, allegedly funding crack pipe, which might not entirely be true, but this was a... This was the big conversation online and it led to incredible memes. So I guess, I, I don't know. It's, it, I admit, this is one of those ones where it was kind of too good to check whether or not the crack pipes were actually being funded. So, but it was all part of this uh, equity thing. So it was that he's got this provision where he wants to have equity for cities with the uh, HHS, Health and Human Services, which was supposed to be in charge of getting all the therapeutics for the coronavirus and didn't do that. But now they've got a harm reduction program grant, which includes all these requirements, but it has these safe smoking kits that they're supplying. But apparently the kits aren't for crack, okay? So for the source-funded freaks monitoring the show, looking to fact check us, they have test kits for fentanyl and other drugs. That's good. And they're designed to go to underserved communities. That's good too. To help substance abusers. I, I'm not necessarily against all this stuff, but the safe smoking kit, eh, I don't know. We're running a little low on dough right now to be handing out the safe smoking kits. Uh, you know, be the best thing to do is try to get people in office who aren't ruining all of our cities. 
when you take the people who created the uh, homelessness problems in places like San Francisco and Los Angeles and you put them in charge of the whole country, things don't go great. They're also very anti-science. You know, uh, Big Joey is missing a big opportunity here because a lot of states, particularly Democrat states, are actually pulling back mask mandates. And lifting these mandates, Big Joey says, is wrong. It's wrong. And it's probably premature. The masks have never worked. And Big Joey doesn't know that. Um, there's a photo of him posing with you know 19-year-old pop singer Billie Eilish, who's supposed to be counterculture. So she shows up at Joe Biden's you know White House and poses with a mask on. They all have masks on. So do the vaccines work? If the vaccines work, why is he masked? So he's also looking increasingly skeletal and old, Big Joey. And his mental capacity, obviously not there. He's probably due for a refresh on those hair plugs. He's just not looking good. He's not looking fresh. But uh, he thinks pulling the masks are premature. It's very schizophrenic what's happening because a lot of these states like California are saying masks aren't required, but the cities are still requiring them. In Illinois, the masks are not going to be required, but you have to wear them in schools, which is completely anti-science. Uh, and the White House is insisting everywhere in the country should still have masks, including schools, even though they're hurting kids' developments and the kids have never been good vectors of the virus. And if they are, they're not getting severely sick at this point. This is I don't get why he's not going to take a win here. Because if you look at the data for coronaviruses, it's still not great now. Everyone is lying to you. So right now, the cases are about three times higher than they were this time last year, and the deaths are slightly higher than they were last year. Do you guys got that? You know how much you're being lied to right now? Fauci's out there acting like the virus is winding down now. We have three times the cases and slightly more deaths right now than we had this time last year. Uh, but now we're talking about now the masking them off. Why can mask them off? It's political. It is purely political. The timing of this is about politics. The Democrats are on the ropes. We got the Biden inflation going on. Borders still open. Convoys are coming. And they're, they're, they're fledgling to get any sort of agenda going at all. And so this is their, they're saying, okay, but let's pull the mask off. Maybe we'll give people that. We'll throw people that bone. Because we've known for a long time the masks are not working and people are getting increasingly frustrated by it. And you're starting to see the grassroots really rise up, starting from Canada, which is amazing, more than the United States. Good for the Canadians there. So they're trying to give a, a Big Joey an easy win, and Big Joey won't take it. If you got people like Gavin Newsom saying it's time to pull the mask off, then you know it's time, right? I mean, that guy would have loved to have kept masks on us forever. And then the airplanes, which have been some of the safest places to be during the pandemic because they have the state-of-the-art ventilation, which is one of the things we also learned, aside from the cloth masks don't work very early on, and, and everyone acted like it's not true, which is that if you're in the airplane, you're generally in a good place because of the air circulation. Um, that they're going to, I think they're going to be mass in airplanes for as long as they can possibly pull it off. People just keep doubling down on the same stuff. The old school junkie says San Francisco gives free money to the homeless population. It's effing easy, he says. It's a great interview that we've uh, seen at Breitbart. It's part of a, um, uh, a, a, a self-proclaimed old school junkie has said that it's effing easy to get money and food stamps from the city and it pays for him to have Amazon Prime and Netflix on his phone. Oh my gosh. Yeah, let's put these people in charge of everything. Everything. 
Uh, last story I will mention, the abortions in Texas have, are down 60% with the first month of the new abortion law. Now, uh, this law is going to work in some ways. It's also an interesting narrative because this is the one that allows for you to sue anyone who's even connected to an abortion. So even if you uh, bring someone to the abortion, et cetera, you can get sued for that, which of course is going to work in terms of abortions, and it has. But it also could be something that is a model that's used for other people uh, in other states. For example, I'm worried about like gun laws, for example. Someone shoots someone and you know you knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who helped sell the gun to that person. Like maybe you'll get you know, sued and under in a different state, in a left-wing state, under a, a similar law. So I'm a little concerned about that. But one thing that is positive is that it did definitely lead to a, a massive drop in abortions right away, which is interesting. It shows you that a lot of people who get abortions are probably on the fence about it. And the ease in which you can get one is probably a big incentive for them to get it. It does normalize the, the atrocity that is the abortion epidemic that we have. Because if it's super easy to get it, it does send a societal signal that we accept this, and by and large, we do. And I think when the laws make it increasingly difficult to do it, and it's not that you're blocked from getting it, um, it means that you just have to go to a state that allows it. I think that this is a, a the overall positive development. I'm still interested to see if these laws mimicked elsewhere and used to hurt conservatives, but certainly it's keeping a lot of babies alive uh, in Texas at this time, which is interesting. Oh, I did have one more. I did have one more, and then we'll go to um, the break. I, I should mention there is this bill that's being branded the Don't Say Gay Bill. I think this came up on yesterday's broadcast. Um, I didn't get the whole context of it um, in Florida, but it, which is supposed to ban teachers from talking about you know sexuality and stuff during school day, which is great because I don't know why they're talking about that anyway. So, But it's being branded by people like Mayor Cheat as some sort of anti- LGBT thing. Let's play cut six, please, Haley. It uh, tells uh, youth uh, who are different or whose families are different that uh, there's something wrong with them out of the gate. And I do think that contributes to the shocking levels of uh, suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts uh, among LGBTQ youth. You know, uh, Chastin, my husband, pointed out that, you know, if, if our kids someday, uh, uh, some Monday morning, come into class and, and, and uh, you know, Kids are, are sitting around, the teacher's got the uh, morning circle talking about how everybody's weekends went, and one of them says, I had the best weekend with my dad's. Is a teacher supposed to say, no, we don't talk about that here? Uh, you know, uh, if it's at any age where it's appropriate to talk about, uh, uh, you know, a, a kid's mom and dad, then it should be appropriate to talk about a kid's mom and mom or dad and dad or whatever family structures we live with. That's part of what it means to be pro-family is to be pro-every family. Yeah, well, of course, it has nothing to do with the bill. The bill is about not about that. You can't say you have a great weekend with your dad. How insane is this guy? He lies so effortlessly. This is what I'm saying is that you're lied to so often by these people. I mean, this is the, that predatory behavior. He's convincing you. He's acting like he just, you know, says someone, you know, he's just that, uh, you know, charming, nice gay guy down the block. It's a and he always is emphasized that he's a gay guy. That's not me doing it. He's doing it. Do you think Florida really is saying you can't say you had a good weekend with your dads when you're in a Monday morning circle? Of course not. They don't want the kids doing what they don't want the kids being subject to what has become almost a recruitment, almost like conversion therapy in so many of our public schools to the LGBTQ plus community, which is what's happening all over the country. 
And so they don't want that to happen. By the way, it also means that you're not supposed to be recruiting them to the cis hetero straight community. They just, just leave it alone. Let that be with the families, let the families handle that stuff. So, but I find it interesting that Pete is taking the time to lie about this, though I'm sure he's being asked about it. But in the meantime, he's not really helping um, with the uh, shuttered bridges that are not having commercial traffic come through from the U.S. and Canada, which are a, fall, a fallout from the protests. Joe Pollock's written this for us at Breitbart. The, the Sec- Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, edge, 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 is MIA on another transportation crisis, this time the blockade, the Ambassador Bridge from Michigan by Canadian protesters who oppose their government's vaccine mandate for truckers. Protesters supporting the trucking convoy closed down traffic on the bridge. It carries 25% of U.S.-Canada trade. Traffic opened from Canada to the U.S., but traffic from the U.S. to Canada remained closed. Why? Truckers had already blockaded the road linking to the western province of Alberta with Montana, and reports were emerging of other potential blockades as well. So Pete's got got to sleuth this one. And he's not. He's out of it. And he's not really addressing it either, which I think is pretty, pretty relevant here. But hey, he's got plenty of time to comment uh, inaccurately on, you know, don't say, don't say gay bill, which is not really don't say gay bill. So just this is the priorities of the left. When can they weigh in on a woke crisis du jour? Um, Rebecca Mansour notes for us a native Michigander for us at Breitbart. The Detroit Bridge that's used for 25% of U.S. Canada trade is blockaded. Port Huron's Blue Water Bridge is backed up for hours. Auto plants are halting production. Where is Pete Buttigieg? You know, the transportation secretary. He's commenting on don't say gay bills. All right. Let's go to a break and we'll come back. Uh, we had a lot of fun today on the broadcast with uh, B.J. Dichter, who's a spokesman and vice president of the Freedom Convoy, who gave us probably the most information about what the truckers are really up to in the Great White North, where they intend to take this movement and uh, the headwinds that they face, not just from the Canadian political class, but also from the establishment media and even the big tech world. All of that gets touched on in the interview, plus what he hopes for the United States and why he thinks Canada has been at the centerpiece of all this. All that in the interview. Let's roll it. BJ, it's great to have you on the broadcast. And I want to be very clear here. What are the demands? What are the requests of those who join the convoy? Who are the people who are in it and what do they want? It's pretty simple. We want two main things. One is an end to the mandates. Uh, the mandated vaccines, and an end to the um, the COVID passport for re-entering Canada for truckers, which eventually would be rolled over for everybody. That's pretty much it. We're not looking at big things. And, um, I mean, we're really concerned what the COVID passport will lead to. Uh, and I told the story on Tucker Carlson of when I drove up to the booth, I didn't even have to show them my QR code the, the border agent told me my phone already popped up on his computer screen and he already had my data and information in front of him. Well, what's going to happen when they start rolling that across to all government buildings and who knows where it's going to go beyond that? 
So th this is very simple to me, and it's very logical. And especially when you know, and my colleague Peter Schweitzer has written a yeah. lot about the Trudeau's history with, with China and communist China, and they have a social credit score system, and there's already people in the United States who are championing it as some kind of a good idea. Uh, when we know that this is happening in parts of the world, and then you have a government that's keeping track via passports of whether or not you are doing as you're told and obeying the government mandates, uh, is reasonable to start saying, well, now is the time to stand up or we're going to go down a road where we're going to have this real command and control life coming from uh, whichever regime is in power. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, somebody I know in law, law enforcement who I'm very close with said to me, I'm not sure this is the hill to die on. Like, is this really the line? And I said to him, well, what is the line? When they have COVID camps? Is right. that when we speak up? Like, let's do it a little bit more proactively and deal with the infrastructure before it's set up and say, no, you're not setting up this sort of infrastructure. Yeah, I do think that is a that is the right point. And then I, if you think it's past them to have eventually some sort of gulag, I, I don't think it, that it is. I think that's entirely feasible. I don't think it's here now, but I do think it's totally feasible. And people need to start thinking in terms of these terms. How far away are we from a social credit score? I don't think we're that far. I think that there are folks on Wall Street, there are folks in big tech in here in the United States, BJ, who would absolutely love it if we had that tomorrow. If the Bill Gates of the world got control, who gets to do what and when? You already see it. It's going mainstream. People on MSNBC, et cetera, talking about whether or not you should withhold medical services to people who are unvaccinated. I mean, just the, it, this doesn't apply to any other decision people make with their health, but only this one. It doesn't apply to exercise, it doesn't apply to diet, it doesn't apply to smoking. This is the only one where they would say, well, hey, if you don't, if you behave this way, then we could, we can withhold essential uh, health care from you. It, it's truly evil idea and it's going mainstream rapidly. Yeah, you know, there's one of the other things I do is I actually produce podcasts and I produce a podcast with Professor Stephen Hicks. You don't know who he is. Uh, Jordan Peterson is frequently citing his work from his book, Explaining Postmodernism, which is the underlying philosophy of the far left that's driving all of this, you know, oppressor versus oppressed nonsense, right? And, you know, he has an episode, I think it's number seven, and it's titled um, Socialism, uh, something to the effect of uh, what socialism is and where does it end, you know? So is it the means of production or is it the means of reproduction? And that's the whole point. Yeah, we're going to start with COVID, but, you know, these authoritarians, they seem to have no bounds. You know, you give them an inch, they take a mile. So you give them COVID passports. Okay, then what next? Like you said, well, you're that's overweight. Right. You have to lose weight. And, oh, you know what? Our birth rate is too low. So we're going to start pairing people up because, as always, it's for the greater good. Then we will have zero freedom. And this is not something new. You know, you go back to the writings of people like Orwell, who, by the way, was a lefty. There are people on the liberal left who are just as concerned as we are. They're just quiet because they don't want to be harassed by the people around them because they know they've, they seem to be losing their minds. It's quite scary. Yeah, it is. And it is uh, uh, Orwell is so, so prescient. And I revisited so much Orwell at the beginning stage of the pandemic. And uh, it's sad how 
impression he was, unfortunately. Uh, again, B.J. Dichter is with me, spokesman and vice president of the Freedom Convoy. So let's talk about the convoy itself. Uh, when did it really form? Uh, were you there at the beginning? And, and what was kind of the, the thinking of how to get this organized, knowing it was going to be a long road? Even if it's successful, this is something that this is a it takes a long time to really get the attention that that is uh, can lead to positive change. I think that's normally the case, except for the fact that, remember, most of society has been locked in their homes and have their, their, had their freedom stripped from them for two years. And I think that was why it was uh, so easy to motivate people just to get out and do something. So initially started in, uh, in Vancouver, and they met up with people in uh, Alberta who were organizing it. Uh, one of it, uh, Tamara Leach, who is a very close friend of mine, uh, her and two truckers, uh, Bridget and Chris, really got the ball uh, started. And they, they divided up there, you know, I'm going to call these guys, we'll get a little convoy. Tamara's like, okay, I'll do the GoFundMe and everything online. And within, I believe it was within 24 hours, if I'm not mistaken, um, Tamara called me and she said, listen, I don't know what happened. I did a GoFundMe and we have like $150,000 and it's going crazy. We're getting messages. I can't handle, I can't handle the volume can you help me with some of the messaging and outreach and, you know, get involved? Are you interested? Whatever. And I said, well, yeah, yeah I have a truck. And of course, of course I'm interested in this. So w- the people who think, you know, it, it's everything is orchestrated and organized and calculated. No, it couldn't be further from the truth. That's why it's been such a, a nightmare logistically to handle all of this and put it all together. You know, we spent a week getting the command center structure reorganized because it wasn't designed for the amount of volume that we have, nobody expected this, but it's purely organic. So those people who are at the borders, for example, um, we don't know them. <laughs> we, they read, we know we inspired them and, you know, it doesn't take a lot to say, you know what, we're going to get some voice together from, you know, the local uh, trucking companies and all the local owner operators and we're going to go to the border. And I think at one point, I think the, the number of uh, ports of entry into Canada that have been blocked, uh, this past week is 130 points of entry, and it's not just limited to truckers. So it started with truckers, then expanded to farmers, and the latest was the fisheries and the maritimes have been blocking all the fishery ports when the, by the way, conservative um, uh, premier decided we're going to make it illegal to participate in a convoy, and anybody does is going to lose their driver's license for a year. So you mentioned something before, you know, the intro, it talked about uh, Andrew Breitbart's speech. It's not left versus right. We see this on the political spectrum. The uh, yes, Trudeau is a problem and he's the liberal and he's the left and he's brought in all this draconian stuff on the federal level. But all the premiers, which is our equivalent of governors, by the way, uh, Doug Ford, Scott Moe, although he's now retracted it, uh, Tim Houston, uh, Legault, these are all conservatives, and they're the ones who implemented passports just to go to a restaurant or to a store. So this is not about left versus right. This is why we're getting a lot of people from the left quietly reaching out, joining our, joining our, um, uh, our festival on Parliament Hill, because everybody understands now that, yeah, we may have differences in, in philosophy and in, in life philosophy, but at the end of the day, we all want freedom, and that's being taken away by the political class itself, and it's not acceptable. People are at the end of their ropes. 
Yeah, I think this will be the interesting thing to track over time because I think as the longer the lockdowns go here in the United States, you're really starting to see people who are traditionally liberals who are really kind of turning on the left and they're understanding that the left kind of rolled them and took over their their political party and are desirous not to be liberal, not to be free, but to be under control. And I think that that's creating some sort of a fissure. Uh, I don't know who's going to win out. Ultimately, we'll we'll have to keep a close eye on it. B.J. Dichter, again, is my guest, spokesman, vice president for the Freedom Convoy. Um, so talk to me about the strategy of the blocking of the ports. Is, uh, uh, is it a negotiating tactic? What is this specific uh, element of the convoy? What is this designed to communicate? Well, again, everybody, all these convoys are operating independently. And uh, I mean, they just pop up and we know nothing. I mean, a couple of them have reached out to us uh, in I think the one in one of the ones in BC reached out to us, for example. Um, but everybody knows it's a universal demand. Um, it is and the mandates and the passports. That's it. It's simple as that. And because it's simple and people are seeing absolutely zero effort from our government, even to talk to us, um, that is purely, that is further fueling people's anger. And they're looking at this thinking, what do I pay all this taxes? What do I pay all these taxes for? Remember, most of these people, especially, you know, owner operators, they're all small business people. So they spend thousands of dollars a year in taxes. And now that there's one slight small demand in their minds, the government thinks they're not even going to talk to us. No, no, that's not how our system works. They serve the people, not the other way around. And I think they're going to learn this harsh lesson, and it's going to take a little while. But you know what? The biggest tool for, um, for change is patience. We got all the time in the world. And truckers who spend their lives on the road waiting at calls, you know, doing their resets with their ELDs, they got all the time in the world to wait. Why do you think this happened in Canada of all countries on earth? Because you're seeing it spread to places like New Zealand that had, I think, even stricter lockdowns than you all did. And uh, in the United States, we're seeing some elements of this. But why do you think that uh, Canada was the one that was the place where this really took off? I think for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I mean, we always joke about our American cousins. And believe me, I love the United States and I love America. But we, from our perspective, Canadians are a little, a little more, sorry, Americans are a little more, uh, I don't say this pejoratively, but trigger happy. They stand up much quicker. They don't, te- they don't tolerate this nonsense for their governments, right? So you guys are much more quicker to push back than Canadians are. And there's, there are some cultural reasons for that. Canadians, you can push and push and push and push, but eventually the hockey fighter comes out. It takes a while. We listen our violence usually to the hockey rink, but eventually it comes out. But the other difference is, remember, we share a border with you guys. 80% of our economy is dependent upon the United States, and a large percentage of the United States' resources are dependent upon, uh, dependent upon Canada, whether it be you know, water, um, you know, softwood, that sort of thing, crude oil, whatever. So because of that, that's why it's a different scenario than New Zealand, because, you know, New Zealand is an isolated island. But we are so integrated into the U.S. economy 
that uh, I think that's what really fuels it, that we see, you know, so many of our truckers, when I drive across to the U.S., it's like a different planet. Even going to, you know, the more draconian places like New York State, uh, it's crossing the border into Canada. It's like going from the dystopian future of lockdowns and socialism to freedom. And we all see it. And we see it, you know, we cross the border two, three times a week on a regular basis. I mean, that's one of the primary reasons I bought my, my truck was to get out of Canada and go to the U.S. and have a taste of freedom for, you know, a few days a week sort of thing or a week at a time, that sort of thing. Uh, really remarkable. Again, uh, B.J. Dichter is with me from the Freedom Convoy. Uh, are any law enforcement officials advising you or giving you any inside information? Because they're put in a tough spot. Because you know there's a lot of people out there who probably are with you politically. And then you see these horrifying things of, you know, uh, a four foot ten uh, elderly man getting beaten uh, for honking their horn. Uh, what's oh, going on crazy. with that? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of uh, friends and I have family in law enforcement. So any sort of direct formal communication, no. Uh, and I have friends who are also retired from law enforcement. But I also get a sense from people on the ground um, and on the inside uh, what's without you know, disclosing me specifically what's, what's happening, but what the tone and what the mood from law enforcement is. And you, you talk about killing the morale of law enforcement. Like one of the things I posted on Twitter a number of times is that this is an opportunity for law enforcement that has beat, been beaten down by extremist far left activists, you know, with all this, you know, defund the police nonsense and all the fake statistics about crime committed by police. We all know our lies. Well, here's the opportunity to reinvigorate and revive community policing to paint p police in a positive light, to show that police are not there to crack down on protests, they're there to serve and protect people. Yet this one rogue um, police chief has decided he's gonna be dictator in chief and he's gonna take his police and weaponize them against peaceful protesters and families whose children are playing in bounty castles. Like that's, that's the tone of how things are here. And it's really quite disgusting. I'm, I'm willing to bet he's going to be retiring very shortly after this is all done. Um, and you can see the police on the ground, there's one attitude, you know, there's only so much they can say, but the police on the ground and the party and the police brass, two entirely different worlds. And that there's many reasons for that here in Canada with our structure of, you know, community uh, police services boards and whatnot. But the party brass, they are, uh, sorry, the, the police brass, so many of them are politicized. They're politicians. They're not, they're not police officers anymore. And everything, you know, below, I guess you'd say staff sergeants, and in some cases deputy chief, uh, there's a completely different mood, and they just want no part of this, and they're being forced into it. It's really killing the morale of police officers to the point yeah. that a senior staff sergeant uh, resigned earlier this week from the Ottawa police. Uh, have you seen any abusive behavior from the police firsthand that maybe hasn't made the news? And, uh, and then have you seen any reactions from other officers? If you've seen any of that? Um, I haven't. The only thing I've seen are the videos, you know, the old guy you were yeah. discussing. And uh, let's just say that that cop is not popular amongst other police officers. 
Uh, they point to that and say, that's the problem with policing, people like that. Um, that's good. But that's otherwise, good. I haven't seen any. The only thing I've seen is, you know, we, we get when we're in the command center or we're in our, if we're, you know, we're not at every place, but when we saw the videos, they, they send them to us right away when they're occurring. Two nights ago, uh, when they were, the police threatened a raid. They're going to raid us. And what happened? Uh, five or ten police officers uh, rolled up to a, a crew of truckers that had a cord of firewood, and were um, and they essentially had not a fire pit, but you know one of those contraptions to build a fire safely. By the way, and uh, the police came and stole their firewood. They were using that for heat to keep warm, so they wouldn't have to run their engines. Uh, so welcome to Canada where our police and our government, well, let's say our government, uh, takes fuel away from people who are in minus 20 degree temperature. Yeah. And then when they get cords of wood, they steal their wood so they can't keep warm. That's I was going to ask about this. humanitarian liberal government. Yeah, I was going to ask about this specifically because it's particularly freezing now, which is very striking to me. I don't uh, live in the warmest part of the world at the moment, but I, you know, I grew up in Southern California where, you know, yeah. I joke on the show that 59 degrees is cold. Uh, <laughs> I, it's the, it's the, the second hit the fifties, you're all, everyone's, everyone's freaking out. It's the, what, what, yeah, what is the, yeah. So, so what is, uh, so, so contextualize how cold is it? I mean, it just seems very uncomfortable. I mean, I know truckers are used to this, but it just seems it can be very uncomfortable. Uh, the past couple of days has been okay. Uh, the past couple of days it's been, you know, minus five degrees and minus five is what, uh, 28 degrees, maybe something like that. Fahrenheit. Yeah. I'll try to talk in Fahrenheit. Sure. Thank but, you. Appreciate uh, that. It, in the earlier part of the week and we're going into it again, we're getting another cold spell. It's about it gets 23. Down to, yeah, it gets to minus 20, minus 30 degrees. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, and minus 20, minus 30 is what? That Was that zero degrees Fahrenheit or close to that? Something, if I'm not mistaken. So it's quite cold. Uh, it's really uh, extremely cold. And that's when the police came and started taking people's uh, you know, fuel and now their wood. But what is interesting is despite the fact that last weekend was the most frigid temperatures I've ever experienced in my life, I think. I'm oh, sorry, no, the first weekend was the most frigid. It was minus 32 degrees, I think, is what it felt like. We still had tens of thousands of people coming out. Why? Uh, because they've been in jail for two years, and Quebec still is. You know, they were still under hard lockdown, and all of a sudden they had some sort of escape to freedom where they could cross the bridge behind the parliament building into Ontario and all of a sudden not be harassed by the government and given a ticket and told to go home and quarantine. They could just go out and find new people, meet friends and hug each other for the first time in a couple of years. It was really quite lovely. Um, that's very cool. I, I got a few more and we only have a few more minutes. BJ Dichter again is with me at BJ Dichter on Twitter, spokesman and vice president for the Freedom Convoy. And uh, there's a few more really important ones. First of all, I want to give you a chance to dispel any lies because we read a lot of lies that are clearly lies. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we see these Nazi flags occasionally <laughs> flying like yeah. the exact right amount where it looks like exactly like AstroTurf, but it's hard to know. And that's the trick. So it's hard for me to say, I know it's AstroTurf. I don't know it's AstroTurf, but it looks like it. Uh, but but it's a what are the things that you can say flat out are just not true that are being said? Well, the, I the Nazi flag is hysterical. That clearly was staged by some sort of activist. It was 
one person nowhere near any of the crowd of people. It was in a back corner somewhere. I don't know where it was on some bench. And there was a photographer there right primed for it, ready for the shot. Um, and, you know, I, I don't like to tell people this, but, you know, I, unfortunately, the left is obsessed with identity politics. Uh, I'm Jewish. I'm not a spokesperson for neo-Nazis. I'm sorry. Uh, if yeah. you think that, then you're suffering severe cognitive dissonance. Right. Well, well, um, BJ, we had to go through this at Breitbart, where the company is owned by Jews and edited by Jews, and yeah, we were called yeah, you know, exactly. Nazis for, you, you for know the that, earth. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Course, so. <laughs> we're, 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 um, we're the OG Jews who were called Nazis. Like that's. I, yeah. mean, that's, that's <laughs> I know. So. I'm well aware. I remember that. I refer to it as, ho- as hoax hate, and I laugh at it. I think it's hysterical. <laughs> it's like they keep trying to do anything they can. You know, with the, with the war memorial, for example. Uh, the, that's the other hoax hate. Uh, it was first a truck parked on the war memorial. Well, no, a truck parked adjacent to the war memorial where the media usually usually parks. Then the next day it was, oh, somebody desecrated the war memorial. Uh, no. And then the next day, somebody uh, or two days after, somebody apparently urinated on the war memorial. No photo evidence other than a puddle of what might have been water Next to the snow, the melting snow, uh, somebody took a picture and whatever. So all of these are the subversive tactics of the far left that we're all used to. And even with that, uh, you know, they don't uh, they don't understand the far left doesn't understand working class because they've never interacted with them. But if they did, they would understand so many of our truckers are either veterans or they come from veteran families. That's just the nature of it. And even though, I don't know if they were more upset about uh, they either believed the hoax hate or they were, they were more upset that someone would even do that, even somebody would even commit, suggest somebody committed that. So what they did was they went and they took their shovels, they shoveled the snow, cleaned up the area, picked up any garbage, better than the city has ever done, by the way. And then they got a whole bunch of flowers, laid it around the tomb of the unknown soldier. And then they set up a protection shift. So they had, you know, three, four guys uh, just keeping an eye on the war memorial and they would do shifts. So it was, there were a pair of eyes on it 24 seven just to protect it. That's how uh, the truckers responded to it. Two more quick ones. The first one, GoFundMe. What's going on with GoFundMe, and what did they do to you guys? And is there a place if people want to support you that they can go? Okay. Well, GoFundMe. First, we raised one ten ten point one million dollars at the maximum, and they, after a lot of back and forth, paperwork, due diligence with our lawyers, all that sort of stuff, they finally transferred the first million dollars to us. And then they decided they're going to keep the rest. <laughs> they were working with the, um, this is your political leaders. The Ottawa mayor and the Ottawa police were in regular communication because the Ottawa mayor said, put this on Twitter. They're in regular communi- communication with GoFundMe to have, all, to have our campaign pulled from their platform. And eventually the mayor said, once it was pulled, he said, oh, thank you for your great work in pulling this hateful, hateful uh, convoy. So GoFundMe initially said, we're just going to keep the money and give it to whatever charity we want. And then came out a Florida man, Ron DeSantis, came out swinging again and said, uh, him and the attorney general 
said this uh, this definitely is is criminal fraud and warrants an investigation. Ted Cruz followed up as well as several other states and attorney generals in the United States. And it looks like GoFundMe is going to have some explaining to do and some legal issues moving forward. So what they did once that happened, they decided, okay, we're just going to give the money back. Have they? Some people, but a lot of people are uh, are sending us messages saying they haven't gotten their money back from GoFundMe. Maybe that's a bottleneck just because we had, I don't know, it was 150, 180,000 people donate to the cause. So maybe that takes a while. So we switched to Give, Send, Go. And Give, Send, Go in the first, uh, they were so overwhelmed. Uh, the first day they raised, first 12 hours, we raised $1.5 million. And they were uh, experiencing uh, 5 million DDoS, which is basically a hacker, but DDoS attacks per hour, 5 million, uh, all bots, right, trying to break their server. And at the same time, a record number of donations, uh, donation requests, that went well beyond the amount of bandwidth and server space that they had. Uh, so those are the good problems to have. Took me seven hours just to even see the campaign once, uh, once the guys uploaded it. Uh, and then now we were up to, I think, $8.3, $8.5 million. And yesterday, the conservative premier of Ontario has called our convoy and peaceful protest an occupation, seems to be going out of his way to help Justin, and uh, went to court and got a court order to block any of the funds from Give, Send, Go. And Gibson Go came out swinging, saying, I'm sorry, we are a, an American company. We don't abide by any Ontario law. So there's some, you know, there's, there's uh, legal wrangling going back and forth. But Doug Ford, whose, uh, you know, slogan was, uh, the man for the people is, um, is blocking, all, is trying to block all our funding. While gently, the Bitcoin community has come out, saw wow. what was happening with GoFundMe, and in fairness to them, they, they predicted that this might happen. So they started a Bitcoin fund on, uh, it's called TallyCoin. It's like GoFundMe for Bitcoin. Unless I checked, I believe it's at $1.1 million. And what the political class doesn't, know, doesn't understand, doesn't seem to understand, firstly, we are massively out fundraising any uh, political party in Canadian history by a mile. And it's because this is their vote. This is people's voice. This is their vote. They understand the political establishment all colludes and works together, that the parties are becoming more and more carbon copies of one another. And people are fed up. They want an alternative. They want an actual opposition. And they're seeing the trucker convoy movement as the official opposition. BJ Dichter, last one, this, this, and this is an important one. Has Justin Trudeau reached out? Is there anyone in the government who is having a good faith re reach out? Is there any negotiations taking place with authorities? Well, no, Justin Trudeau did what I predicted he would do all along. He's just going to call us names. You know, the, the, the bag of hate comments that they roll out every time, uh, racist, uh, anti-Semitic, you know, everything that was in the... Um, the communist, in the communist directive, right? It's all the same stuff, you know, um, calling people names and doubling down on that strategy. Doesn't seem to be working for him. Otherwise, there are, like, I know a lot of people in the Conservative Party. I know a lot of our MPs. 
there have been overtures made and they've been, you know, uh, quiet, obviously, because they're politicians and supportive. And there have been a couple of liberals who have broken rank that have gone public and said, we are not uh, supportive of this. I spent an hour and a half with a former liberal MP two nights, yeah, two nights ago, um, just discussing what's going on that he's hearing from people in cabinet. And there apparently are another 30 plus liberal MPs who are embarrassed about this because look at it this way. Imagine like, I don't agree with them on their philosophical worldview. I don't think either of us do. Right. But is this the legacy you want to leave to your sure. kids yeah. that it was the first time in Canada's history where people, people from Quebec and Alberta finally unified and accepted each other and became friends and are hanging out together and trying to learn each other's languages. Like it's really quite beautiful. And they're the ones who are going to tell their children, yeah, we had that moment of unity in Canada's history, but I helped crush it. And I don't think, you know, regardless of our difference uh, in worldview, I don't think they'll, they'll be able to live with that. And I think that's why you're starting to see them break ranks. BJ Dictor, I really appreciate it. Come back and check in with me soon. All right. Thank you, Alex. BJ from the Freedom Convoy, which is spreading worldwide. Really compelling stuff. Could I take a quick break? We'll be right back. We have a caller of the day today, somewhat upbeat. Mitch in North Carolina was able to figure out how to deal with his woke private schools. He found a Christian school uh, that he liked better, but he does provide, I think, a relatively grave warning for private school people who have gone to private school hoping to avoid the public school indoctrination and have been sorely and expensively disappointed. But he explains his experience and provides, I think, some hope for some people who are diligent about uh, hunting down some good teachers out there and some good school systems that do have the back of the students. We get into that right now. Let's play our call of the day. Hey, man, that was a great segment. So anyway, I got three kids in private school, and we went shopping for private schools, fortunately, back in 2008. And one of the best signals, if you guys are looking for schools, when you go to open houses, look at the cars and the bumper stickers. So we happened to see at all these fancy private schools, Obama stickers. And we were like, really? Wow. Seriously? What does this mean? And um, then you Google them. We found these schools had, this is back in 08, they had um, LGBT clubs. They would host like gangster rap, you know, seminars for kids to go to. And so it led us to actually go to a Christian school, which was the only place we could find a foundation of normality where they actually had values and they had boundaries. So the private schools are off the hook. They're crazy. So you really um, got to be careful. Can I, can I ask you, Mitch, about the, yeah. I, I know they are, and I had the same thing, you know, my um, alma mater, I went to high school, which, you know, was formerly known for intellectual rigor is now known for actually openly embracing CRT, which most schools that embrace CRT lie to you about it. Um, so, you know, right. I know this firsthand, but how are the Christian schools i've heard some of the christian schools are getting woke too they are and it's a constant battle so um my school is solidly conservative and they do stick to biblical principles that marriage is a man and a woman they're not into the whole lgbt thing but um surprisingly there's parents that are liberals that send their kids there and they push back on having pro-life speakers they'll complain about oh there's so much trump you know t-shirts or hats or kids are waving the american yeah. flag too much so it's just but it's that's a constant good battle news. I mean, it seems like you can find it if you want hard enough.
right, that's all for today's show. Reminding you that every time you tell someone about the broadcast, we really appreciate it. Leaving a five-star review, sharing our content, going to Breitbart.com. All this is very, very helpful. Reminder, the full three-hour live show is every morning, 6 a.m. Eastern Time, and on the SXM app. You get all the interviews, more from me, more callers, all of that. Thanks a lot to producers Haley and Greg for making the show possible, and we'll be back. I'm in love.